set yourself apart from the way the world operates, then start by showing kindness to the people around you. The fear that you're feeling, the guilt that you're feeling, that's the conviction from being in this presence. That's your sin. That's my sin doing that. But God's not here to continue. He's not here to say, I'm here to send you home. No, God is here to say, I love you and your sins are forgiven. your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. And we're going to look at another person in the scripture that, that when she encounters Jesus, it completely changes her life. This is, maybe. There it goes. This is not an actual picture of Mary Magdalene. They were not cameras back then, so we, can't, we don't have an actual photo from the day and time. But if you've watched The Chosen, this is a picture of the actress that plays Mary Magdalene in the story. Uh, if you've not seen The Chosen, it's available pretty much anywhere. You can download it for free. Or you can join us on Sunday nights. We're kind of working our way through it. We're in the middle of the second season right now. Uh, we're not watching it tonight because I want you to go home and spend time with your families and enjoy this day together and celebrate with them. But next Sunday night, we'll be watching together. But this is Mary Magdalene. And there's been a lot throughout church tradition and church teaching about who Mary Magdalene is, and a lot of it is based on guessing. Because the Scripture really doesn't give us that much about her. We know that if you, if you look in... Luke chapter 8, verse 2, it tells us that Mary Magdalene was a woman who was possessed by, I think it was, seven demons. And then she met Jesus. And she went from being a woman with a tormented mind, a tormented spirit, to a woman set free by the power of Jesus. And then she gave her life to following Him. She loved Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for her. But outside of that, we don't know much about Mary. But when we read this story in John chapter 20, she is going to be given an honor that no one else in the history of the world will have. So let's look at John chapter 20 together. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put Him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. 
He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? And who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So on that first day of the week, Mary goes to the tomb, and she's going there to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. Remember, he died on a Friday, and then Saturday is the Sabbath, so they, to honor the Sabbath, they could not do anything. They were supposed to rest and, and, and spend time with God. If you read the crucifixion story, you know that it was Jesus was laid in the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and he and Nicodemus worked together to very quickly prepare Jesus' body to get it into the tomb, just to preserve it until it could be taken care of fully. So Mary got up early, it says, and she went to the tomb to do just that. And, and some scholars believe she may have even gotten up as early as 3.30 in the morning in order to go to Jesus to finish preparing his body for burial. And as she's walking there, I'm sure Mary's biggest concern was, how am I going to get that big stone out of the front of the, of the entryway? I'm sure she's pondering that in her mind. Maybe she thought, well, you know, there, there's two, there's, maybe there's, there'll be some Roman guys there because they're afraid that someone's going to come steal the body of Jesus. So maybe I can ask them for help. But then when Mary shows up, she discovers that is not the biggest problem that she has. She, she walks up on that tomb and she sees that the, tone, the stone is rolled away. She sees the, the Roman guards are gone or passed out in the bushes somewhere. And she knows something isn't right. You see, this is a time period where it's very common for, for criminals to go and rob graves. So she took one look at that tomb, and the stone rolled away, the guards being gone, and she knew something was wrong, that the body of Jesus was not there. 
that's a lot bigger problem. Because if you put a body somewhere, it's supposed to stay right there, right? It doesn't move on its own. Someone had to steal it. So she sees that the tomb is empty, and she knows that Jesus is gone, and, and that she needs to tell somebody. So the first person, people that pop in her mind are the disciples of Jesus. And she tells herself, I have to run, I have to go tell them. And what I find interesting is, remember, Simon Peter is the one who denies Jesus three times, right? We haven't gone through the whole scene where Jesus tells Peter he's forgiven, right? That whole little that hasn't happened yet. But when Mary Magdalene goes to find the disciples, who does she find first? Who does she go tell this news to? Simon Peter. She tells Simon Peter, and, and John must have, John, that John is the beloved disciple, right? Whenever you're reading the Gospel of John, and he says, the one whom Jesus loved, he's referring to himself. Okay? You can call it arrogance, you can call it what you will, but that's just how John refers to himself in the story. That's kind of the benefit you have when you're the one telling the story, right? Ask any fisherman. And so she goes and she tells Peter and John. And when Mary tells Peter and John, they immediately take off running themselves. And it's kind of a, a foot race in the Bible. To be honest, this is why I run on a weekly basis, right? I run pretty regularly. It's because when I get to heaven, I want to challenge John. So that way he, he doesn't remain undefeated. <laughs> John, beat, John beats Peter the tomb, and, and, and a lot's been made about why that happens, and, and here, here is the, probably the most obvious reason why it happened. John was a lot younger than Peter. Might have been a little more nimble, too. So John gets there first, but he doesn't go all the way, and he just stops out, kind of peeks in there, and he sees that, indeed, the, the tomb is empty, Jesus is not there. Then true to his character, when Simon Peter shows up, he doesn't stop like John doesn't peek in. He just goes barreling right in. And indeed, Mary's correct. Jesus is gone. The tomb is empty. But as, as, these, as these fellows are observing the tomb, they notice something. Jesus is gone, but there is no way that this tomb could have been robbed. Have you ever seen a, a robbery crime scene? Anyone in here? Yes, no? If there's one thing that burglars are not known for, it's neatness. Right? When, they're, when they break into somewhere and they're looking to steal something, they just are tossing things about until they find something they want, stick in their pocket, and go. And that's kind of probably what John, Peter and John were expecting when they entered the tomb of Jesus. They're probably expecting to see a mess everywhere or... Or in their haste to get the body of Jesus, there's just nothing left at all. But when they're looking around that tomb, they see that one, the burial clothes are in one spot, and then the face covering's in another, and it's neatly folded. Almost as if to say, this was not an accident. Someone took intentional time to make sure this detail was there.
it tells us that at least John sees what's happening and he believes in this moment. He believes that Jesus has, has risen again. But at the same time, while he knows that the tomb is empty, Jesus has come back to life again, he has no idea what that means. Jesus had talked about it a bunch of times, but that went over his head. He didn't understand the theological implications that it had concerning the Old Testament. He didn't understand all that. Because he says that in verse 9, right? They didn't get it. But they knew, they knew whatever had just happened, that, that the fact that Jesus was dead and he's alive someplace else, and evidenced by the folded clothes in the empty tomb, they knew Jesus was alive somewhere and that it meant something. So they go back home. Keep in mind, the only reason they know this, the only reason they show up at the tomb is because Mary was the first one to witness the fact that the tomb was empty and ran and told the disciples. Now, she, has completely, she completely misunderstands what's going on, but she's the first witness to this. Now, we're going to dig into verses 11 through 18 here in just a second. And as we read it, we, 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 we're, you know, if you're like me, and you have, I was that kid in, question, that in Sunday school class in children's church, I had a thousand questions when the teacher told a story, and I was not afraid to ask them. So whenever I read the Bible, I get more questions usually than I start off with. <laughs> and I usually get some answers, but then I have more questions to the answers. And then, so when I read this, I'm like, okay, so why doesn't Mary react the same way as the fellas? But remember what happens. She shows up to the disciples, tells them what happens, and the boys take off running. Do you think they waited around for some girl to catch up? No. They were, they were in a hurry. They were going to figure out where Jesus was at. So Mary's probably on her way back, and, and, she, and the, the boys don't stop to, to think and tell her what's going on. She just returns to the tomb to, to, to try and figure out, piece together what's going on. All she knows is that Jesus died... And he's not there now. And again, we can criticize Mary. We can be critical for her uh, for not believing in the other disciples in this moment. But let's be honest. When people die in our lives, they usually stay that way. I don't think that's the right slide. There we go. So Mary comes back to the tomb, and she's, it says she's crying here. And the word they use to describe her crying, this isn't just like a silent whimper. She is bawling her eyes out. She, she is bawling her eyes out. She's, she's crying out loud because of the agony that she feels. And then she stops, and she, she peeks inside the tomb. Just maybe, you know, she, she hasn't actually done that enough yet. So she stops, peeks in there just to double check that she, what she saw was indeed true. And she sees that Jesus isn't there. But this time, she sees two angels sitting there. What I find fascinating is Mary isn't weirded out because angels are present. She doesn't ask, who are you or why are you here? She just sees the angels, and when they ask her, woman, why are you crying? She just straightforward tells them, because they've taken away my Lord. 
So Mary's she's crying. She's she's inconsolable in this moment. That's when Jesus appears to her. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. Now, now, again, there's a lot of speculation about why Mary doesn't recognize Jesus in this moment. It could be because she's crying so uncontrollably that, that the tears are in the way and she may look at him, but she doesn't recognize who he is. It could be that we know that there are other instances where Jesus appears again to his disciples and they're blocked from seeing him as he truly is. We don't know why. We can speculate that all day. But Jesus comes to Mary and says, you know, a woman says the same thing pretty much as the angel. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary thinks he's the gardener. And see, in verse, verse 15 here, we see her desperation. She's like, you know, she's like, sir, if you could just tell me where you put Jesus, I'll go and get him. That's right. It's like, I'll go get him. And if I can't carry him, I have the means. I can pay somebody to help me get him back here. Just tell me where he's at. I won't press any charges. I just want my Jesus back where he belongs so I can take care of his body the way I was going to. She's saying all this, not, not seeing who, seeing it's Jesus talking to her. Until verse 16. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And as soon as Jesus says her name, she sees Jesus. The very person Mary is looking for, she is, she is face to face with him. Her, 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 her master, her teacher, her savior was dead in the tomb. She was looking for him. And then all of a sudden he says her name and there he is. And I don't think Jesus had to put any special emphasis on this. Otherwise, the text would have, would have described it that way. There's no magic trick or anything like that. Jesus just simply looks at Mary and says, Mary, the way he had done so many times before. He says it in such a way when, when, he, when Jesus says Mary, she recognizes it as his voice and as her Lord calling her. Immediately, all the fear, all the, the sorrow is washed away by realizing Jesus is alive and standing right there in front of her. Makes you think, remember Jesus' teaching earlier in John chapter 10, right? He says, and my sheep know my voice. Mary's proof. Now, I, I can imagine what happens here. She discovers that it's indeed Jesus, and then she just tr- attempts to wrap Jesus in this giant bear hug and never let him go again. Right? Don't you get that? that, that that's the picture I, I get from reading this. Like she, she, that's how she was desperately trying to find Jesus, and now she's found him again, and she's definitely not going to let go because she's not going to lose him again. And that's why Jesus says what he says. He says, Mary, please don't cling to me. I don't, think, I don't think Jesus is rebuking here. I don't think he's being mean to her. I don't think he's, he's scolding her from trying to embrace him in the future. He's, he's just reminding Mary, I've got to go. 
right now, I've got to go to my father, okay? I've got, to, I've got to leave right now, and so I need you to let me go. But I want you to do this for me. I want you to go tell my brothers. I want you to go tell, tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus is letting Mary know to tell the boys that, that everything is different now, that the, 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 the path to reconciliation has occurred, that everything has changed because Jesus was dead and he's alive again. And who, and who is it that Jesus gives this message to? It's not a priest. It's not one of the disciples that, that have been studying and learning from him his whole life. It's not one of the disciples that grew up going to the synagogue and the school attached to it. No. Jesus turns to Mary, the one that only has one verse in the book of Luke chapter 8 that tells us who she is and where she came from. The Mary that in John chapter 20 is desperately searching for Jesus and, and, when, and Jesus trusts this woman, this nobody woman, who was a woman plagued in her mind and her being that he had set free. He trusts the message of go tell my brothers what has happened to her. And because G Mary loves Jesus enough, she lets go of Jesus. And, and she immediately does what Jesus says. It tells her she goes back, she goes to the disciples, and she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord, and this is what he told me to tell you. This is one of the few instances when, when God says, I told you to tell, tell, when God told me to tell you, it's okay, Right? Jesus told me to tell you this. I saw him with my own eyes. I tried to bear hug him so he couldn't get away, and he told me to stop. And then he told me to tell you this. See, so much has been made about the Christian faith over the years. There's so many theories out there about what actually happened. The theory that the disciples stole the body, which I find absolutely ludicrous. You mean to tell me the same disciples that ran away when Jesus was arrested somehow got the courage to go back and fight the Romans? Okay. <laughs> and even if they did get the courage to do that, you're telling me the same Simon Peter that was aiming for a guy's head with a sword and missed and got his ear was able to fight off the Romans successfully? I don't think so. There, the, the, actually, the big, the big modern push right now is to deny that Jesus even existed at all, which any, any scholar, whether they're a secular scholar or a Christian scholar, will tell you that's just ludicrous. There's more history and evidence for the, the, the man Jesus than just about anybody in the history of the world. He was real. And there's another fact that everybody agrees on is that the tomb is empty. Jesus, Jesus was a real man that died, was placed in a tomb, but his body is no longer in the same place where they left it.
So the resounding answer to is Jesus in the tomb is no. He's not there. It's been proven. And the first one to see the empty tomb was Mary. She was the first one to discover the fact that Jesus was not there. Not a priest. Not the good little Sunday school kid. But Mary. Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons, was the first one to to realize that Jesus was indeed gone. She didn't completely understand what it meant when she first saw it, but she, she knew, she acknowledged the fact that Jesus is no longer there. Then Jesus comes to her and tells her, Mary, I'm alive. Stop holding on to me. Right? He, she sees Jesus is alive. And what does Jesus tell her to do? Go tell the boys. Go tell the others that what you go tell the others that I am alive. And, and so when Mary shows up, what is it that she tells them? She tells them that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And then she gives them the words that Jesus told her to tell them. That's it. She doesn't add to it. She doesn't take away from it. She just simply tells them in obedience, out of love to Jesus and love for her brothers, that, that hey, hey, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And this is what he said. Everything's different now. What's even more impressive is what Mary does not share. She doesn't show up and say, well, if you go back to the Old Testament of Isaiah or Ezekiel and lead them through a Bible study to get to the point of what Jesus was saying, she doesn't do that. She simply says, you know, I was at the tomb today. It's empty. Jesus is not there. And then he was alive standing right in front of me. She shares with them what she experienced. And she experienced a living, risen Savior. She doesn't walk into that group of boys and say, well, boys, uh, Jesus appeared to me first and he told me to tell you, so you better sit down and listen. She doesn't rattle off her credentials and why she should be there. Because to be real honest, Mary has no right to be in this moment. None of us would have the right to be in this moment and have this opportunity, but for some reason, God picked Mary. Maybe it's because of her desperation and love for Jesus, her desperation that had her searching everywhere to find him. Even full of misunderstanding and not getting it fully, she was still trying to find Jesus, but she, when she, and when she does, it changes her life. Perhaps that's it. But she doesn't rattle off her credentials. No, she just simply walks into that group of boys. She doesn't care what they think about her. They don't care what she... She doesn't care what they think about her message. She just says, I have seen the Lord. The tomb is empty, and then he was alive standing in front of me, and this is what he said, everything is different now. Now, what's really cool about this, and I skipped over this when I was going through the text part, that word brothers doesn't just mean brothers, okay? It means everybody. It means those who belong to Jesus. Everybody that loved Jesus and wanted to be there, this message was for them. 
And actually, what's even fascinating, this word that in the Greek that's used here, it, it, it's, it, this is the first time Jesus describes his disciples in this way. He refers to him as his students. He refers to him as, as his servants and other things like that. But and this is the first time where Jesus references them as family. Because why? Because when he died and rose again, they became part of God's family. They were adopted into his fold. They, 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 they found a place to where they belonged and where they needed to be. And, and they had a purpose and a reason for being there. These disciples, they, they're going to become the apostles, right? They're going to be the ones that, that the Holy Spirit falls on on the day of Pentecost. And then they're going to go out and preach the message of a risen Jesus that died on the cross for the salvation of all. And thousands are going to get saved. But who is it that goes to these apostles? These ones that are going to establish the church in a mighty way that the Holy Spirit is going to use to change the face of the earth. Who is it that Jesus chooses? He chooses Mary. The woman possessed by seven demons who met Jesus and life was changed forever. The Mary, the, the, the Mary that, that went and stood at the empty tomb, discovered it was empty, didn't completely understand it, but then she stood face to face with Jesus and then she became the apostle to the apostles. And that's what Jesus can do with our lives if we're willing to believe and be obedient to what He's saying to us. If we can acknowledge that He is a risen Savior. If we, again, we can all agree that the tomb is empty. There's nobody there. But what sets the Christians apart from everybody else is we believe that He rose again and took up His life again. That He ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father until it's such a time where God says, now, and then He's going to come back again. And we're all going to go be with Him. But it all starts with us because we have faith. We believe that the tomb is empty because Jesus rose again. Because that's what he said he was going to do. And we've had a lot more time than the disciples had to process this. Believe me, we theologians have come through this book and found every passage we could possibly probably find to point back to why it had to happen this way. And you can have, we can have all the knowledge we want. We can study the Bible inside and out, but it's still going to lead us to the same point of where we have to make this decision. Why is the tomb empty? Is it because we, do we believe that it's because Jesus rose again for the forgiveness of our sins to set us free from it because God loved us that much? If that's the truth, and if you can believe that, oh man, the life that goes with it, the gift that comes with it, the power that comes with it, you see, Jesus will become more than just a historical figure to you. He'll become a real living Savior that lives inside your heart. Jesus is alive. He's singing right now. Now, it kind of brings us to this truth, right? I believe when we read Scripture, it, it's God speaking to us, right? He can speak to us through other ways too, but most of the time when He speaks to us the other ways, it's going to take us back to the Bible. 
somehow, some way. And when God speaks to us, it always demands a response from us. And the response it demands from us today is, do we believe that Jesus is alive? And that's what changes everything. I read a story of one theologian, I can't remember his name, he's long since passed, but he had probably preached these Easter passages a thousand times. But one day he's sitting in his study getting ready for Easter Sunday message, and all of a sudden it hit him that Jesus is alive. And he became, he became alive. They couldn't shut him up. Matter of fact, every sermon after that became about the fact that Jesus is alive until he retired. The theologian Karl Barth, he, he, he believed that Jesus was alive, but, but, but beyond that, he also realized that, that Jesus loved him. That Jesus that's alive loves him. He loves you. That's why he died, and that's why he rose again. You are why the tomb is empty. So the truth we have to, 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 to wrestle with today, the truth that we have to accept is that Jesus is alive. But when we hear that truth, you might... You might be saying, well, well, well Jason, I, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. It didn't to the disciples either. Jesus, they had Jesus teaching. Jesus was their teacher, and they still didn't get it. Mary had the, was the first one to see the tomb. Then she came back and saw the empty grave clothes, but she didn't catch the details that the boys did. She didn't understand it. And do you think she fully understood it when Jesus appeared to her and says, Mary, go tell my brothers, do you think she fully got them? No. It's not about understanding or getting it or having it all figured out. It's about just saying, I believe in Jesus and trusting that he will show you the way the rest of the way. You may say, well, well, Jason, I, I don't go to church. I get it. There's a lot of other things to do, right? Our weeks are so busy. We're, our schedules are filled from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. And then sometimes it's beyond that. And we're, we're running like chickens with our heads cut off. And when we finally have a weekend and there's some times off, we just want to sleep back in that chair and relax. We, we don't want to think about going to church. And we definitely want to think about going to church and dealing with the church people. One pastor, friend, one pastor I worked for, we used to joke that we were going to start our own church but we were trying to figure out how to do it and, and just, just be us. We couldn't figure out how to be, make that sustainable. It's not about that. It's not about church attendance. That helps. It's important. But you don't have to go to church to understand that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose again. You don't have to go to church to believe that Jesus is alive. We don't keep an, Shannon doesn't have an attendance sheet up there on the computer with a bunch of X's on it that determines when you're saved. No, it's the moment where you take when you believe that Jesus truly is alive. You may be saying, well, Jason, I don't have my life all together. I'm a mess. I'm broken. It's, it, there's pieces of me everywhere. I'm, I'm, I have ducks, but I can't even find them to put them in a row. It's not about that. 
Jesus is saying, I'm alive, believe in me, and I will help you find the ducks. I will help you to line them up. And you'll learn maybe that some of the ducks don't need to be in your row. But believe that I'm alive. Believe that I love you. Allow my grace to wash over you. So that's the truth. Those are the truths that we all wrestle with. But here's what grace says. Here's what Jesus says through his grace. You know my voice. You see, Mary didn't see Jesus and understand who Jesus was until when? Until he said, Mary. It wasn't a loud, audible voice. It wasn't a banging pots and pans like I did once to wake up a bunch of sleeping teenagers. It was Mary. And immediately she recognized it was Jesus. That he was alive in that moment. That moment brought new life into her. It brought new energy into her. It brought her to a point where she grabbed onto Jesus and he had to tell her to let him go. If you ask every believer that's here, they can tell you a moment where they were going about their lives. They may have gone to church for 20 years or 15 years. They may have been to every teen camp, every vacation Bible school, knew all the songs, had all the t-shirts. But at some point during all of that, they were sitting there and somehow they can't explain to it. It might not have been an audible voice, but somehow in their heart they heard Jesus whisper their name and they knew it was Him. Because he is the one that made them. Remember, he's the one that, when, when the storm was raging, right, and the disciples were in the boat, he spoke and said, peace be still, and the storm stopped. Why? Because they knew, the storm knew, Jesus was their maker, and they had to obey his voice. Why, why did Jesus have to tell the demons to be quiet as he cast them out? Because they knew who he was, and they had to obey him. And you and I, when we hear his voice, we know exactly who he is. We may not understand it. We may not know how to write a theological paper on it. I still don't. But we know who is calling to us. We know it's him. But see, because of the sin in our lives, because of the mess of our lives, we're so afraid to go to him. Because of the picture we've been painted about God being this angry God that's going to shoot lightning bolts on me. But that's not the truth. This is the God that loved you, that was willing to send his son to die on the cross to save you. This is the God that loves you so much when Jesus took his last breath that he tore that temple veil in two. He didn't wait 30 seconds for that temple veil to be torn. He didn't wait two days for it to be torn. No, the second Jesus took his last breath, that curtain that separated God from man was torn and open wide so God could get to you. Now, this is speculative theology. I shouldn't preach this, but I'm going to. I, see, when, I, when we die, I don't believe that when we, when we die, we're going to go stand at the pearly gates and we're going to have to talk to St. Peter. I don't believe that. Because I'm convinced that the same God that, that was that quick to get to us the second take our last breath here he's the first one to us that's how much he loves you and if you think jesus had to tell mary to quit clinging to him wait until god gets a hold of your life and you let him in he's gonna wrap you in the hug of his love that you will never be able to escape or, or even want to you know his voice but the question is will you be obedient to it Will you surrender to it? Will you stop being afraid? Will you stop trying to put it all together? Will you stop trying to understand? Will you stop worrying about where you're going to go to church? Just believe that Jesus is alive and he loves you. (coughs) 
As we get ready to close up, there's really two invitations to this today. Remember Jesus, what Jesus says to Mary when she recognizes it's finally him? She says, go, he says, go and tell my brothers. That everything is different now. I think there's two things that we can take away from when we read that. One, she is telling, he is te- Jesus is telling Mary, this woman who was possessed by seven demons, who only reason she's known is because Jesus changed her life. And she's only given one verse in Luke to tell us why, how that happened. But she tells him, she, she, she sees Jesus, realizes she's alive, she believes, and then Jesus tells her to what, go and join the family. Go and join my family. Go and join God's family. Go be with them. Because I love you, and guess what? They're going to love you too, and if they don't love you, then they don't belong to me. But they will love you if they truly belong to me. They will accept you. They will welcome you. They will walk through this life with you. They will be my hands and my feet. They will be my voice of comfort. They'll be my voice of strength. They'll be, they'll be me, my presence with you, helping you carry on. But to do that, to join God's family, you first have to believe that he's alive. That he is who he says he is. And then there's a second invitation, I think. And this one's a little bit more dramatic, I guess. I guess they're all dramatic in their own ways. They all require their own commitment and their own, in a, in a surrender on our part. You see, we've been watching through this Lent series. It's called The Old, Old Story, right? And how and it's based on, on an old hymn in the hymn book that tells us that, talks about us loving to tell the story of Jesus because of what Jesus did for us. And we as Christians, we as believers, when we're transformed by the love of Jesus, if we truly love him, we can't keep our mouths shut about it because of what he's done. I love that Shauna, she probably sent me five texts this week with different pictures and, and, and phrases about what God's doing in the life of his baby. And it encouraged me every time in a week where I needed an encouragement. And I think we're, and we're all called to that. We're all called to, called to share the story of Jesus. But there are some of us that God calls beyond that. That our entire lives are to be spent ministering for His namesake. Our entire lives, every second, every fiber of our being is to be laid down at this altar and given over to him so he can take it and he can use it to be a blessing to others. You see that word, that apostle I talked about earlier? It means sent ones. And these are the ones that Jesus handpicked out and then he sent them out into the world. And we think about the twelve. But do you realize that, that Mary was the apostle to the apostles? This woman that had one verse describe her in her in Scripture, Jesus gave her a mission to go and give His Word to the brothers. This woman that didn't have her life, that, 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 that didn't have a claim to fame, had no business being there, Jesus said, go and talk to my brothers. She became apostle to the apostles. See, some of us are here today and God's been whispering to you for a while saying, and you know it's his voice, and you know it's him telling you. 
But God's saying, I, I want you to be more than just a, someone that fills the pew. I want you to be more than just a Sunday school teacher. I want you to be more than all that. I want you to give your life to me. Allow me to communicate my gospel message through you. I want you to go and preach my word. I want you to go be a missionary for me someplace else. And you know it's his voice and it terrifies you. But you know, God's whispering to you saying, I want you to be one of the sent ones. I picked on Brother Toller a little bit earlier during prayer time, didn't I? I joked that he's retired and I said, hey, I need you to step out of retirement for a minute here. But here's the truth, and I think he would testify this. We never retire, do we? That's, that's, the, that's the thing about God's retirement. You don't. <laughs> but I bet you if I were to sit down and ask him, he would tell me every, every second of it was worth it. All the fears that, that he had when he started off, I bet you God washed every one of them away or gave him the strength to face them. I'm a per- I, when God called me, I, I, didn't like, I don't like people. I was going to coach football and, and maybe teach a little bit of high school history, and, and that'd be my life. And one day, sitting in an earth science class, God said, I want you to go preach. I wouldn't, be, I would, I wouldn't want to do anything else. It's not because of the perks. <laughs> It's because I get to watch and see God move in my life. I get to watch Him see and Him move in your life. I get to see what happens when you and I believe together that God is alive, that Jesus is living, and see what His grace does. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pastorman Podcast. It is recorded live the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene, located at 530 Main Street in Ravenna, Kentucky. Our theme song is The Dirt Path by Jeremy Edwards. Be sure to visit thedirtpathsimonpodcast.com where you can leave me a message, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and find daily devotional videos. <laughs>